Good morning. You guys made it out okay? Might be stranded here all day, but you got here nonetheless, right? Um, I, again, I just want to, I, I appreciate you guys so much, just your guts to, to uh, take on the cold and, and uh, make your way here. And I know some of you, maybe you left begrudgingly thinking, why, are, why am I not staying home today? And maybe some of you thought, I've got to get out and I need the warmth of the body of Christ and the fellowship there. So I recognize that you're probably uh, all across the spectrum there in terms of your need this morning, but I just want to uh, commend you for coming out and for your courage. So it's good to have you. Uh, let's just ask the Lord to help us as we study his word, and then we'll dive, dive back into Ephesians here. God, thank you for the truth of your word that isn't um, locked away in some distant, removed culture, but that, God, it speaks to us in our lives today. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who makes it clear to us. Thank you for the revelation of Jesus so that we can see the truths of your word illustrated in his life. So God, help us to understand clearly what you would have us learn this morning. May we see you more clearly and understand what you want of us. Uh, So we commit ourselves to you, we commit uh, our hearts to you, and we ask for your help and your assistance to learn what uh, the truth of your word has to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd open your Bibles to Ephesians 6, that's where we are. We're actually wrapping up our our, uh, series here. Uh, We've got one more. Uh, We're obviously in the last chapter. We've got one more message next week, and we'll talk about putting on the armor of God, and uh, that will conclude the book. And then um, we're going to be heading on from there, and right now I'm leaning towards the book of Exodus. Uh, So hopefully that piques your interest. It'll be a couple weeks before we get to it, but that's where we're headed. I'd like to spend time in both the New Testament and the Old Testament, kind of work back and forth. Uh, So that's, uh, I believe, where we're headed there. The past couple weeks we've been talking about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times when we hear that particular phrase, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, we, we kind of tend to think of the sensational signs that we might expect to follow that. And there are times that we see in Scripture truly some sensational uh, responses to the filling of the Holy Spirit. But particularly here in Ephesians, we see not so much a sensational sign, but we see the change in people's relationships. We see a relational sign of those that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And, and that's kind of what we've been, we've been talking about here. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we will be changed in our relationships to others. We've seen this through chapter 5 and 6 here. So that first of all, our, there will be a change in our relationship with the Lord. That we will no longer be enemies of Him, separated from Him, antagonistic to Him, but in fact we will love Him, we will worship Him, we will honor Him. Being filled with the Spirit means we'll be changed in our relationship with the Lord. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means we'll be changed in our relationship with others. We won't be self-centered anymore, but we'll be others-centered. We'll be putting the needs of others above our own. Uh, Being filled with the Holy Spirit means that our relationships with others within the church will change. In other words, our relationships with one another will be marked by mutual submission, where we defer to one another in our areas of spiritual gifting and we look to serve and encourage and help one another uh, in the ways that we can. And we see that uh, in a person's everyday household relationships, there also will be a change, whether it's marriage or whether it's parents and children or whether it's in our, our place of employment. We see our regular, everyday kinds of relationships will also be changed. They will be influenced by 
the Holy Spirit. And so this really is part two of, the, of that message under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We started it uh, last week and we'll, we'll conclude it this week. But sort of that big point I really want you to hear is that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the result is that our relationships with others are going to change. It's not always manifested in some big sensational sign, but it shows up in relational ways. And last week we talked about how the influence of the Holy Spirit will change our marriages. And we, we talked about rather, that, rather than marriage representing on one hand sort of this authoritarian, heavy-handed, domineering kind of a household that we saw in the Greco-Roman world, or on the other hand, those that have been influenced by some of the cults in the city of Ephesus, such as the cult devoted to Artemis or Isis, and seeing complete disorder in marriages, we see that marriages, the Christian household, the Christian marriages will be characterized by distinct and complementary roles of respectful submission and sacrificial leadership. It wasn't to be either of these two extremes, but that both husband and wife, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, would exercise these distinct roles in a gracious way. That's being filled with the Holy Spirit uh, for her husbands and wives. And we also saw that this arrangement was not a new creation there, but it was consistent with God's creative design from the very beginning. And, and that in the same way that that, that happens with, uh, with husbands and wives, we're going to see it uh, with our children, parents and children, and in our place uh, of employment as well. So Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And so the first very simple, obvious principle here, not hard for any of us, spirit-filled children are to be obedient to their parents. Parents, this is the time when you get to gently maybe kind of nudge and elbow your child who's next to you most of the kids are downstairs there's a lot of elbowing going on first service uh, but most of the kids are downstairs right now but something i want to draw your attention to that absolutely would have stood out to the original hearers as they're hearing this message is is this that paul specifically addresses kids here do you see that who's this addressed to he says children obey your parents he doesn't address them through the parents. He doesn't say, parents, make sure that your kids... But, but he, he addresses the kids. And this would have been very conspicuous. It just absolutely would have blown this culture away that the Apostle Paul would have addressed the kids specifically because in the Roman household, in sort of the Roman world, these kids were not given uh, a high degree of respect or dignity. In fact, the sort of the situation... Uh, of the day, the, the patria protestis, as we call it, is the rule of the father, the power of the father. It was a very patriarchal household. And fathers would actually decide whether or not kids lived or died as, as it fit the needs of the family. And we, we sort of joke about children are, you know, ought to be seen and not heard, and then we laugh that off, right? But in this particular culture, it was, children had very low value in a lot of families. Certainly they, they, they might be loved in some families and, and a part of everything. But because of the power given to the head of household, the po- power given to fathers in sort of the Roman world, it was a really a scary place for kids. And, and so the fact that the Apostle Paul addresses kids specifically here and speaks to them 
is an incredible amount of dignity and value and, and respect that, that he gives to them. Uh, it would have been very conspicuous to the original hearers. And I think it shows us a couple things as well. First of all, it shows us that children actually would have been a part of the worship assembly of the day. They would have been in the room. They would have heard Paul's instructions because this was directed at them, directed to them. Uh, And I think it shows that Paul considered children not just the church of tomorrow, but but he considered them the church of today, right now. And I think there's something for us to learn in that as well. Uh, that, that, that children are the church of right now. And also we see that children themselves can be filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that, that's what this whole section is about, how, how we interact with one another under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul works through systematically all of these kinds of relationships. And so he shows that our kids are, are equally can be filled with the Holy Spirit, not just saved, not just believers, not just followers in Jesus Christ, but filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not something they have to wait for much later on. But as they give their lives, more and more of their lives to Christ, they're filled with the Holy Spirit uh, as well. Um, and, I, and I just want to say this. I think there are some that see the, uh, the Bible as kind of an archaic book or irrelevant or maybe even at times demeaning. How dare the Bible say that wives ought to submit to their husbands? How, how dare the Bible address slaves, as we see later in this passage. And and, and people would be critical of the scriptures for this. And and I just want to say, they're they're failing to understand the message of this book written to the culture that it was written to. Uh, Yes, there was was sort of um, an imbalance of power within the family. But Paul addresses kids themselves. Yes, there was the institution of slavery in the world. But Paul speaks to the slave, which is an incredible thing. He doesn't consider them unworthy of being addressed, but he speaks to them in their condition sensitively and instructs them. There's honor that is accorded to children and to slaves from the scriptures, and people miss that. And so I just want to say there's nothing to blush and be ashamed about here, but to be proud of the scriptures for addressing children and even slaves in this particular culture. There's something to be proud of in that. Another thing that would have been conspicuous sort of to the original hearers of this was the motivation uh, that would have been, uh, the motivation for obedience that is, is given here. Again, in most Roman households, obedience would have been done out of fear. Dad is the patria protestus. He, is, he has the rule and the power of the household. And if I cross him, I'm in trouble. I could be even dismissed from the family, as was the custom of the day. And so I'm sure kids in that particular day would absolutely have obeyed out of fear. But see, Paul changes the motivation to kids. As he talks to them, he says, he he encourages kids, obeying your parents is, is not just a matter of fear, it's a matter of faith. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And so... What I would tell the children is this. Your act of obedience, obeying your parents, is not just something to do um, out of fear. It's something to be done as an act of discipleship, as an act of following Christ. It's a matter of faith. If we were to go around the room and, and survey kids and ask, you know, why should you obey your parents? I'm sure some of the kids would say, if I don't, I'll get in trouble. 
If I don't obey mom and dad, I won't get my allowance. Uh, if I don't obey uh, mom and dad, I will I'll lose some privileges. Uh, maybe some would say, if, if I don't obey, my parents get frustrated and they yell a lot. Or if I don't, or, or I obey my parents, because actually sometimes I feel like they're helpful. Maybe we wouldn't hear that one as much. But what God's word tells children is to obey your parents as an act of discipleship, as a matter of faith. Not out of fear, but as a, but as a matter of faith. And so Paul kind of changes the motivation there. And then Paul moves on to, uh, to, me, to older kids here, maybe college-age kids or young adults, and he kind of switches his word choice from obedience to honor. Not that obedience is to be lacking, but we all know that our relationship uh, kids' relationship with parents changes as they become adults. And, and Paul speaks to this. And so he says, he, he tells older kids to honor their parents. Older children continue to honor your parents. And, and I want to tell you, that this, this really stood out to me as I was studying this week and I was remembering some of my own, my own upbringing. Um, my relationship with my dad changed. Uh, right around the time I, I went to college. Uh, and it changed for the better. Um, I, I, uh, once I graduated from high school, I went down to Biola University and started attending there. And my home church, about an hour and a half away, back in Apple Valley, asked me if I would consider serving as a youth intern uh, to kind of help lead the youth group. And so I, I agreed to do that, but I didn't have wheels. So what my dad chose to do was on Friday afternoons, he would get in the car and he would drive down an hour and a half down to the Los Angeles area and he'd pick me up at school. And, and then we would drive home together and I would serve at my home church for the weekend, all weekend long, and then Sunday night we'd get back in the car and then he would drive me all the way back to school, drop me off about midnight, and then begin the journey home himself. And that was something that my dad did every weekend for almost two years. And our relationship changed at that point. I always had a good relationship with my dad, but it was very much parent-child. And even though I, I was still his child, we had a chance to sit in the car shoulder to shoulder and to talk about all kinds of new things in life. And I value that time with my dad so much. Uh, our relationship absolutely changed. And um, I, 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 partly I just want to honor him for that that commitment that he made to, to make that drive with me um, and spend that kind of time with me. And, and, I, and I know that my relationship with my dad changed during that time in the car. And I also know that I have the best talks with my son uh, in the car. Did, did any, any others of you experience this? There's something about sitting shoulder to shoulder that makes the conversation a little easier than nose to nose. And somehow it's just a little easier to talk. And I, I love that, that car time and and uh, talking with my kids. Um, but we know that that relationship changes as we, become, as we become older. And for those of you who are maybe late high school or college age or just beyond, you're not off the hook for your relationship with your folks. Your responsibility now is to honor your parents, to honor them in the ways that you can. In the Middle Eastern culture, a child would be subject to their father under the sort of the rules of the household until they got out and married and established their own household. They would still be under the rule of the father. Um, 
And, and then according to the Genesis principle, once they got married and had their own family unit, then they were to leave and cleave, right? We've heard this before. Uh, in our culture today, I think that transition time between in the household and out of the whole household has gotten much longer. Do you guys see that? It, it takes longer uh, for, for kids to sort of get, get out of the household. Uh, there's probably tons of reasons why, and I won't speculate all of them, but we even see it in health insurance these days, right? Now health insurance is extended until age 25. I don't want my kids in the house at age 25. I want them gone. Um, I think there's just a, there's a lot more time that parents are continuing to support their kids, whether it's through college or even returning from college. It's difficult to find jobs. There's all kinds of reasons why. But it's creating, I think, even more and more tension around this issue. And I know a lot of people are simply asking the question, how do we, how do we relate to our adult children? How do we relate to our adult children when maybe they're still in our household or are still receiving some level of financial support from us or, or, or otherwise? And what does that relationship look like? And so... I want to just address some of, some of you young adults that maybe are still receiving support from your families. And I want to challenge you to just think about a couple of things under sort of the category of how to honor your parents. Your responsibility throughout your lifetime is to continue to honor your parents in the ways that you can. But especially when you're receiving support from them, financial support or otherwise, You've got to honor their values and their wishes, particularly in your decision-making. And you have to give a lot of deference to that. Um, and, I, and I want you just to think about it for a second here. If you're trying to make decisions that are independent of your parents' values, and yet they're supporting you financially, you're creating conscience problems for your parents. You're, you're causing them to feel like they are enabling actions and behavior that they don't agree with. And, and, and you just need to be aware of that. If you're feeling like you need to make some decisions that are independent and contradictory to their values, then you need to walk that out with independence financially and otherwise and not force them to have those conscience issues. And moms and dads, you've got to continue to consider and reconsider how you're supporting uh, your adult kids. Uh, you don't want to be manipulative with your support, but you maybe need to set some benchmarks for them and say, listen, uh, in the next six months, you really ought to be looking for your own place. In the next year and a half, you might want to be thinking about having a job that has some benefits because you're going to be off our insurance. And you need to lay some of these things out ahead for your kids so they can prepare and move into them graciously to minimize sort of that tension uh, that we feel. Um, the goal of successful parenting, parents need to hear this, is not to protect your kids from everything. It is to prepare them to leave <laughs> and to live on their own. That's successful parenting. And um, I know that that can be a challenge, and I know I have those challenges ahead of me. So please do it well so I can come back and ask you how you did that when we get to some of those things. Honor your parents in the way that you can. And it, it says this is the first commandment with a promise attached to it. Kids, there's a guarantee attached to this. That it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. 
when Amy and I got married, uh, and we kind of stopped and considered our families of origin and the way we were brought up, we felt very, very blessed. Both Amy and I have families with both parents who are Christians, whose marriages are not only intact but healthy, and we had just excellent godly uh, examples to watch. And when we grew up, we just assumed that's normal, that's what everybody gets. And then we realized how fortunate and how blessed we were that not only did you know I have it, but my wife had that experience as well. So when we got married at our wedding, we decided we wanted to honor our parents, and we read letters to them. Uh, and so I wrote a letter to Amy's parents, and I read it to them, thanking them for uh, raising this, this little girl to know the Lord and to become the woman that she was, and for keeping their vows and for being godly examples, and then she did the same. And it was, uh, this might sound funny, and uh, as much as I love my wife, and that was a special time for us, that was my favorite time of the whole service, was having an opportunity to honor and affirm each other's parents for what they had done uh, for us. And so we thank them for that. So honoring our parents doesn't stop. We, we continue to do that. And you know what? We have to continue to do this today. Um, and I kind of wish I could mute the service here a little bit because my mom is going to listen to this. Um, so hi, Mom. We have to continue to honor our parents today, and it's not always easy. I'll tell you one of the ways it looks, how it looks like for us today. Um, sometimes our, our parents like to come up and visit at times that aren't convenient for us. They always want to come in the summer when we want to go and play. They won't come when it's 40 below. <laughs> and um, so they'll come up at times that are inconvenient. And they might want to do things that we don't want to do. And one of the things that we have to do when they come up is we have to, out of respect, and continuing to honor our parents is to give deference to some of their requests. Uh, Christmas time is another one that's a challenge for us. My mom loves to give gifts. And being distant and removed from our kids, it's important to her to send not just a few gifts, but a lot of gifts. And so Christmas rolls around and we're just like, ah, there's, there's too many little gifts. We don't need all this little stuff. The kids don't need all this little stuff. But one of the things that I have to do to honor my mom and to honor the fact that she loves her kids and she wants to show love in the way that she does I need to recognize that this is her way of being as present as she can by giving these gifts. So I have to honor that. Now, I can try to speak to it and influence it gently, but I have to respect some of that. We continue to honor our parents, not just in these college ages, or college age, but as, as, we, as we go on, too. We respect them as we, and honor them as we can. Okay, so the second level here. Spirit-filled children are to... Obey their parents. Spirit-filled fathers, it says, don't frustrate your kids. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And once again, I just want to show you how countercultural this particular section here is. Paul is now addressing the head of the household, the paterfamilias in the Roman world. Okay? And we would expect him to address the head of the household. Uh, but what would have been conspicuous to the original hearers is how he is addressed and what is expected of him. It's not to be the heavy-handed authoritarian father. It's to be engaged in the lives of his kids and, and to provide leadership that is sensitive and gentle and caring and nurturing. 
It's not to be the bully dad. It's to be an engaged and a gentle father. And that would have been conspicuous to the original hearers here. Spirit-filled fathers are to be gentle. Spirit-filled fathers also disciple their kids. That is, they train them. They train their kids. They prepare them for life. Now, I want, to, I want to stop and just think about real practical terms here, guys. Think about your kids. Think about your plans and how you're preparing them for life. And we've already said the goal of successful parenting is raising a child who can stand up on their own and move out and leave and live their own life. That's successful parenting. That's the goal. It's not to protect them from everything. It's to prepare them for a life on their own and to coach them through things. And so we will do things like watch their grades to make sure they're performing at the level that they ought to in school. Uh, we'll, we'll watch their relationships with boys and with girls to make sure that they're interacting in a way that's appropriate. Um, we will make sure that they are learning how to work hard. We'll give them specific chores to do, right? And try to help them be successful in that. We'll teach them how to handle their money, uh, to be responsible and to understand that it's it's hard-earned and it ought to be carefully treated. And we direct their God-given skills and abilities in such a way that they can make a living wage and be successful in life so they can take care of us when we're old, right? That's why we have many kids, too, to give ourselves the best odds that one of our kids will be responsible enough to take care of us because certainly one or two won't be. Um, the question I want to ask you is this, inasmuch as you prepare them to be successful in life, how are you preparing and training your kids to be successful in their relationship with the Lord? Are you training your kids, are you discipling your kids in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? Dads, are you teaching your kids about their Heavenly Father? Are you teaching your kids how to read the Bible? Are you teaching them how to pray? Are you teaching them how to love and serve other people? Are you teaching them how to worship God? And here's the kicker. I promise you, I guarantee you, you are teaching them. Whether by your good example or by your bad example, you are teaching them. Daniel Fuller has said, example is the strongest rhetoric. And what you are modeling is what you are teaching. And so I want to encourage you to think about what is your intention with them. Now, some of you might say, Eric, I'm busy. I have a full-time job. My job's really demanding. It's really stressful. It takes a lot of my time. And I have to travel and I have to be gone. And I would say, I'm sympathetic to that. All the more reason to have a good plan, to be intentional about what you're going to do to train your kids in the nurture and the admission of the Lord. And so I've given you a little acronym here, a little box in your handout that I hope would be helpful for you. Some things that you can do. First of all, T here, talk about the Lord. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Talk about the Lord. Talk about the, the Word of God. Let con- that conversation be on your lips. Interact with your kids on these things. As I've said, one of the most transformational times from our relationship with my dad and I was in the car talking shoulder to shoulder about the things of the Lord and what was going on in our life. Talk about these things with your kids. You'd be amazed 
at what they know about the Lord or the questions that they have or how much they can handle, how much they can actually talk about. You'll be amazed. Uh, Read the scriptures to them. Uh, This is something that Amy and I would be very transparent. This is something that Amy and I struggle with in our family is our Bible time with the kids. Um, We get to the end of the day and we just don't have the energy anymore. Does that sound familiar to anybody? To sit down and read a Bible story? Are you kidding? You know, we're just trying to get everybody's teeth brushed for bedtime. I've told you bedtime in our house is like a game of whack-a-mole, you know. Why are you up? You're supposed to be down. You know, it's crazy. It happens every night, too. I don't understand how it's not, you know, like perfectly synchronized by now, but it's not. Uh, and so we struggle with this. And there's times Amy and I look at each other and we go, you know what? We have We have not done this in days or weeks, and we need to sit down and we need to get out one of the children's Bibles and read through the stories and ask the questions and listen to our kids and listen to what they want to know about the Lord and fill in those gaps. And we struggle with it. It's a way you can pray for us. Um, ask your kids to pray. At mealtime, we have, that's what we do. We, we just we hold hands dinner time and we say, who wants to pray tonight? And uh, then we begin the debate on who gets to pray and why. But what I love about praying with my kids and hearing them pray is I get to hear how they're thinking about the Lord. I get to hear if they're just repeating dad's prayers or someone else's prayers or if there's some kind of actual dynamic of relationship between them and God. And and I love those moments when you can hear that development of, of them coming to know the Lord and being able to go to him and thank him for something. And it's just sweet to hear the prayers of your kids. Invite them to pray. It's a way you get to eavesdrop on their relationship with God. Uh, invite them to serve with you in some way. Um, one, of, one of the things I like to do sometimes is to bring the kids actually to the, the church here during the week with me. And they get to see a little bit of what Dad does. Especially if I'm going to go to the hospital to visit somebody, there's been a couple of occasions where I've brought one of the kids so that they can see how dad might serve or or try to take care of somebody. And as you have opportunities in your life, show your kids how to love and serve other people. I I think there's a whole generation of kids that are growing up thinking that God is asleep Monday through Saturday, and he only wakes up on Sunday to hear praise from his people. So I think we need to show them service in the middle of the week. And then lastly, I would say, never stop growing yourself. Uh, One of the strongest examples to me of devotion to the Lord is my mom. And and one of the ways that I show it I, I saw in her was that when I woke up in the morning, I would see, you know, that the coffee had been made and a couple of cups had been had been drunk and my mom's Bible was open on the table. She had been up early and she had been meeting with God before we ever woke. And that she never talked about that. I never asked her about that, but I saw it. And I know my mom was devoted to the Lord, and it impacted me. So moms and dads, you are making an example. You are an example to kids. You are teaching them whether you intend to or not. My question is, what are you teaching them? Are you training them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? The second section we move on here, away from the parent-child relationship, is what I'm going to address sort of in the the realm of employment. Spirit-filled workers serve with distinction. Now, this section, as we find it, it, talks, it addresses sort of the slavery situation in the, uh, in the Roman world. And I, I want to address that here. I want to just, just stop and try to put this in perspective a little bit here. Um, 
I'm going to use this as I'm going to apply this in terms of employment because that's simply the closest association that we have with it. Uh, when we think of slavery, we think of sort of the New World uh, situation of slavery. That's what comes to mind. And there are some similarities with the ancient world, and there are some distinct differences. And I want to talk about those real quick here. First of all, slavery in the ancient world, in the Roman world, was particularly common. One in three people in the Roman world was a slave. One in three. And so, again, I think it's, a, it's similar to our employment situation. The slave in the first century wasn't necessarily assigned a low-class status, but actually the, the class of their status was, was linked with their, the sort of the household that they were tied to or the master that they were tied to. Uh, and for many people, it was a way of getting status or significance as a citizen. So you would try to uh, put yourself into indentured servanthood to a household with some respect or honor because you would be accorded more honor than you had outside of that, if that makes sense. Uh, slavery also wasn't a permanent condition. It was something that you did for a season of time and then you could get out of it in most cases. Uh, it would be similar to enlisting in the military. You'd say, you're the authority, I'm yours. Send me where you will for a time to do a job. Uh, you would do it so that you would earn a wage and, and, and have as much freedom as, as you can and then at a certain time you would get out. So it was similar in that regard. Um, Oftentimes, someone might seek to become the slave of a Roman citizen, specifically so they could get Roman citizenship. Uh, in, fact, in fact, there's a man uh, by the name of Felix, who was the Roman governor of Judea, and he was one, this is the one that Paul would appear, uh, appear before, he was one that had once been a slave, gained his freedom, and then gained a subsequent political position. So there's an example of maybe how that could work. And again, as I said, it was very, very common, one in three uh, in the Roman world were slaves. And uh, that's evidenced by the amount of scripture that speaks to it because that was the situation of the day. Once again, should we be ashamed of this, that scripture talks about slavery? I don't think we should because Paul is honoring and affirming this, these individuals because he addresses them. Instead of ignoring their situation, he considers them as fully equal members of the body of Christ and citizens and says, let me address you in your situation. So there's nothing to be ashamed of here. Um, but again, the comparison that I'm going to draw uh, from this is in our, in our situation of employment because I think it's the closest possible um, point of application. So verse 5, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And so the pattern here is this. Obey your supervisors as obeying the Lord. Those of you who are employees, which I, is probably most of us in this room, obey your supervisors as obeying the Lord. Now some of you are reading this and you're thinking, Eric, you don't understand. My supervisor is the dark lord of Sith. How in the world am I supposed to obey them as obeying the Lord? And I would just cause you to think about this. If Paul can address the slave in the ancient world and tell them to obey their masters as to the Lord, how much more could he tell us in our culture to obey our earthly masters as unto the Lord. 
It should be easier in our context. Uh, If one is a slave, they were to see themselves as a slave to the Lord. And Paul himself, who was a prisoner at the time of writing this, calls himself not a prisoner of Nero, but what? A prisoner of the Lord. And so he was able to look at his circumstances and turn it upside down and say, God has me here. He has me here in this place for this time for some reason. And as I serve, I will serve with distinction. And I will serve and all of my work will be done as unto the Lord to please not an earthly master, but to please him. I will give my best for him. And so that's the second point here. We are to serve for the Lord's reward, not because we want an advance, not because we're, we're motivated by fear, not because we're ambitious, but we're to do so as an act of worship and respect for the Lord. Our place of work does not have to be seen as some distraction from our faith. And I would challenge you to see your place of employment as the soil in which you get to live out the Christian faith. It's the mission field. And some of you would say, but, but my, my workplace is incredibly dark, Eric. It's very dark. And I would say, and I don't mean to say this unkind, great. You've got a really dark backdrop against which you get to demonstrate the light of Christ. You should be very conspicuous. The darker it is, the brighter you get to shine. And I just would encourage you to think in those ways. I like what Paul Stevens says here from Regent Seminary about work. He says, Far too long the separation of God and business has resulted in a double life. God on Sunday, work on Monday. People of faith often have been enthusiastic theists on Sunday and practical atheists on Monday. And I want to challenge you to think about that. Not only in your witness at work and how you might speak to people, but specifically about how you work and how you do what you do. I think whatever your craft is, whatever it is that you do, you should do very, very well. You should excel at it. You should be the best in your field. Because after all, whom are you working for? You're working for the Lord. Your work is not done for an earthly supervisor. It's done for a heavenly supervisor. I think, I've said this many times before, I think people ought to look at a job that was done by a Christian and be able to know that it was done by a Christian. I think people ought to be able to look at work and say, this was clearly built or designed or ordered by a Christian. Look how well it's done. It's almost as if they were doing it to please God. Because we are. If your job is to teach, teach well. Teach with distinction. Be the very best. If your job is laying carpet, do it well. Do it with distinction. Be the best in your field. Be the first call that contractors call when they're placing those orders. If your job is building homes, build excellent homes. Do it with integrity. Do it with skill. You're working as unto the Lord. Your work is unto the Lord. I like what Proverbs 22, 29 says. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. I think we ought to be as skilled, so skilled in our work that we are in demand continuing to receive phone calls from others trying to promote us. Christians should be the most promotable 
workforce in existence. Finally, employers, spirit-filled employers, should manage with care. Manage with care. Verse 9, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. You serve in a place where favoritism is permitted, where those who are in positions of authority or power get the easy treatment and everybody else gets it hard, guess what? It doesn't work that way in heaven. And while these people who maybe are working under your management or your oversight, while they're working ultimately unto the Lord, guess what? So are you. So should you. You should be working as unto the Lord in your management, whether you're as an employee or as a manager. We're told here that ultimately we serve the same master and that we will be held accountable to him as well. So let me try to wrap up this whole section here. As Christians, we're all to come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be spirit-filled, which means that all of our relationships will be changed. Whether we're a husband or a wife, or a parent or a child or an employer or an employee, our relationships are changed because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not leading our life for ourselves. We're living our life as followers of Jesus Christ. And the presence of Jesus in our life influences the way we exercise our responsibilities in every sphere of life, in even these most fundamental spheres. We don't need to ask for more of the Holy Spirit in order to be filled. We need to yield more of ourselves to the Holy Spirit. He stands there ready to fill us completely if we would turn over areas of our life to him. Whether it's at work or at home, we are to be under his influence. Let's pray. Father, there are some that would think the scriptures are old and archaic and irrelevant. And as we have seen from this book of Ephesians and as we continue to see, it is practical down to showing up at work tomorrow morning and the way that we serve there. It's practical in the way that we would drive home and interact with our kids. It's practical in the way that we uh, interact with and care for our spouse. Father, you have saved us, you have drawn us into your family, and you have empowered us with your Holy Spirit. We do want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So God, we submit these areas of life to you. We give you control and power. We relinquish what we sometimes hold tight-fistedly because we want you to influence these relationships. Thank you for redeeming us. Help us to live life in a way that pleases you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.